You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. If the Twilight Zone has shown us anything over the years, it's that one of the best places you can go to reflect on your life is a squalid room in a boarding house or hotel. Preferably one that costs less than $10 to stay there. A place that tells you that you have really reached rock bottom. And tonight the conditions are just right to be able to connect with a man called Grady who is at rock bottom, a jockey who is embroiled in a horse doping scandal and who is about to be tested by the Twilight Zone. Let's see if we can get him on the line. Yep. Hello, Mr. Grady. This is Grady. My name's Tom Elliott. Tom Elliott. Tom Elliott from the Twilight Zone podcast. Yeah, I know who you are. I know who you are. Mr. Grady. But don't try and nuzzle up to me with that Mr. Grady stuff. If you're here in this room now, I'd scrape you off the wall and put you in a cup out as I grab you. Perhaps it's a bad time. So instead, let's make a call through the fiction barrier, back through time, and speak with the man who gave Mr. Grady life, the great Mickey Rooney. Mr. Rooney, this is Tom Elliott, and uh, I'd just like to talk to you about your episode of The Twilight Zone, The Last Night of a Jockey. Well, it was interesting to make, but I don't, I don't see why people enjoy something like this now, but maybe they do. I'll try them again later. So what we learn is that Mr. Grady has been complicit in some racing fixes, and as he says, it was the big boys who walked away with the money, and all he got was a bag full of change. So the question is, will the Twilight Zone be his punishment or his redemption on the last night of a jockey? The name is Grady. Five feet short in stockings and boots. A slightly distorted offshoot of a good breed of humans who race horses. He happens to be one of the rotten apples, bruised and yellowed by dealing in dirt. A short man with a short memory who's forgotten that he's worked for the sport of kings and helped turn it into a cesspool, used and misused by the two-legged animals who've hung around sporting events since the days of the Coliseum. So this is Grady on his last night as a jockey. Behind him are Hialeah, Hollywood Park, and Saratoga. Rounding the far turn and coming up fast on the rail is the Twilight Zone. First broadcast on October 5th, 1963... Written by Rod Serling and directed by Joseph M. Newman. So a pretty standard whip panther sailing on set. And I'm still waiting for that great sailing in the scene season 5 opening. But in terms of what he actually says, I think this is a good one. A good poetic opener that uses the theme of horse racing very well. And as we heard in the opening scene and in Serling's narration... Grady's height is key to this whole thing. Because let's face it, 
The Last Night of a Jockey is probably one of the more strange Twilight Zone titles, but as we'll learn, the point of it really is that Sailing needed someone of diminutive size for the kind of twist of this episode to work, and we'll get to what that is later on, so a jockey makes sense, but as we'll find out, this isn't really about horse racing, that is just a device needed to explain Grady's size, and it's also the field that he's been disgraced in. So this is a rod sailing penned episode, nothing unusual, but what is unusual is what was going on behind the scenes at this time. As we know from the inception of the Twilight Zone, one of the men who shaped the show from the beginning was the producer, the great Buck Houghton, and he produced 102 episodes until he left in 1962, and he was replaced by Herbert Hirschman, who produced 12 episodes in 1963, and then when he left, he was replaced by Bert Granite, who produced 18 episodes between 1963 and 1964, so we are in a bit of a revolving door situation. But when season 5 was still in production, Bert Granite received an offer he couldn't refuse to go and work on another show, and his replacement was a gentleman called William Frug, who would go on to produce 22 episodes, so was second only to Buck Houghton in the number of episodes produced. And with a new producer came some changes. Frug said in the Twilight Zone Companion, When I came on the show, Rod wanted me to start clean as a producer, and several scripts that were to be Twilight Zones were thrown out. But some of those ones that ended up on the rubbish heap in the Twilight Zone have actually seen the light of day since in other shows. One of the trashed season 5 stories was by Richard Matheson and it was called The Doll, about a lonely bachelor who falls in love with a beautiful handmade doll and seeks out the woman who inspired it. And that was made into an episode of the anthology show Amazing Stories in 1986. And then there's the story Many Many Monkeys which was also due to be made in season 5 and this was about an epidemic where folds of flesh grow over people's eyes and one of the characters believes that it is a physical manifestation of the hate that exists within people and that was actually made into a season 3 episode of the 80s Twilight Zone. And then there was a story called What the Devil by Arch Obler about a couple of murderers who are chased along the highway by a truck filled with dynamite and it's driven by Satan. So that's a shame because Arch Obler was quite a prolific radio writer and a major contributor to the radio show Lights Out so he could have been a good get for the Twilight Zone and then there was also a Charles Beaumont story called Gentlemen Be Seated about a future society where laughter has been outlawed. So we'll just briefly touch upon tonight's director and that is Joseph M. Newman and I did speak about him in the season opener in Praise of Pip and as I might have said back then, he was some of the new blood that was coming into season 5 of The Twilight Zone who might have stuck with it 
had it went beyond season 5, but as well as directing the first episode of the season, Newman also directed the last episode of the season, which of course is the last classic era Twilight Zone episode. So he started on a high, we'll see how he fares tonight with this one. Now in the Twilight Zone we have seen several episodes where there is only one performer for the most part. The first ever episode itself, Where Is Everybody, features the great Earl Holloman on his own for most of the running time. But then there are other actors in the closing scenes. And then there's The Invaders with Agnes Moorhead, which is a one-woman episode, but then there is an actor's voice at the end of it, playing one of the small spacemen. And as originally scripted, there was supposed to be another actor in this episode, as well as Mickey Rooney, playing Grady's landlord, and he would be shouting through the door for the rent. And apparently this scene was actually filmed, and the actor playing the landlord was Vic Perrin. And as you might know, he played the control voice in the show, The Outer Limits. So because Perrin's scenes were cut, this is the only Twilight Zone where, apart from Rod Sailing, there is only one performer in it throughout. So for a large part of the episode, Mr. Grady ends up talking to a version of himself. How goes the world, Mr. Grady? What? A little tight on the turns? Bogged down by muddy track? How goes it, Mr. Grady? What's a gag, huh? All right, now, oh, look, you, you made your point. Where are you? Where am I? I'm between the frontal lobes, Mr. Grady. What? Inside your head, securely nestled in the gray convolutions. Convolutions? What is that supposed to mean? I'm inside your head, Mr. Grady. While this is a solo episode, it was actually friendships and connections behind the scenes that got it to the screen. Mickey Rooney had played a character called Eddie in an episode of Alcoa Goodyear Theatre, a performance that had earned him an Emmy nomination. And in it, he played a bookie who was trying to earn money to pay off his debts and the producer of that piece was the new Twilight Zone producer, William Frug. But Rooney had also played a part in one of Rod Serling's Playhouse 90 episodes called The Comedian, and Serling and Rooney were apparently good friends. So all of these things converged in The Last Night of a Jockey. As we find out in our story, the character of Grady gets into a conversation with a version of himself, who identifies himself as a culmination of Grady's memories, his alter ego. Easy, Mr. Grady, easy does it, easy does it. Now we get to the moment of truth, the ultimate. Now you hit pay dirt, kid. You get whatever you want. I mean, whatever I want. Well, tell me, what is it you want more than anything else in the earth? This is the moment, this is it. What is it you want, Mr. Grady? Name it. It's yours. What do I want? What do I want? 
biggest. Hear me? Yeah, that's what I want. I want to be the biggest. I want to be big! So these are words that Mr. Grady will live to regret saying. But while Grady himself wasn't big, to find someone who was, we need look no further than the man who played him. Grady is played by the great Mickey Rooney, and while the point of this episode might be that Grady was small in both stature and worth, the same cannot be said about Rooney himself. If ever there was a man who lived a big life, it was Mickey Rooney, with a monumental 345 credits to his name and a career that spanned from 1926 to 2021, seven years beyond his death in 2014, it was a life lived in front of the camera. He was born in Brooklyn, New York in 1920 and his birth name was Joe Ewell Jr. And show business truly was in his blood and he first appeared on stage at 17 months old in his parents' vaudeville act, wearing a specially made tuxedo. His parents separated when he was four years old and he moved to Hollywood with his mother and it didn't take long for him to start working in the business. He got his first part in 1926 in a short called Not To Be Trusted and then he started to pay his dues with small parts in other productions but it was in 1927 that he got his big break when his mother had him audition for the role of Mickey Maguire in a short comedy film called Orchids and Airmine. And remember, this was still in the time of silent pictures. And it's said that the advertisement for this short comedy film was for a dark-haired young boy, but without the money to buy hair dye, his mother used burnt cork to darken his hair. But this wasn't some one-off part, it was actually the first part in a long-running movie series based on a cartoon strip called Tunaville Trolley, and Wikipedia describes it like this. The single-panel gag cartoon was a daily look at Tunaville, situated in what are now called the suburbs. Central to the strip, was the rickety little trolley called the Tunaville Trolley that met all the trains. Driven in a frenzy by the grisly old skipper to meet each commuter train as it arrived in town. A few of the many richly formed characters included Suitcase Simpson, Mickey Maguire, the powerful Katrinka, the terrible-tempered Mr. Bang, Aunt Epi Hog, Little Woo Woo Wertel, the Little Scorpions, and Stinky Davis. So that was the cartoon strip, but from what I can gather, the long-running series of shorts that followed started to focus on the Mickey Maguire character because the first one was called Orchids and Airmine, but the ones that followed all used Mickey Maguire's name in the title. The next short was called Mickey's Circus, and then there was Mickey's Pals, Mickey's Eleven, Mickey's Battle, and so on. But in 1931 and 1932, there was another actor called Marvin Stevens who took on the role for one season. And the Mickey Maguire character was this tough-looking street kid with jet black hair and often a cigar hanging from his mouth. 
and he exemplified a lot of the attitude that Rooney would display in roles throughout his career. Characters who might be short in stature, but more than made up for it in attitude and tough talk. And talk is the operative word because these silent shorts actually made the transition into the talkies. That's it. Are you sure? Marco Nemo cured a mule with it. It uh, don't seem right with all that mustard and red peppers and horseradish in it. Let's have a squint at it. Come on. Does she smell like snake oil, Katink? Sure, but she's awful strong. Gotta cure anything. What do you know about medicine? Give me a spoon. Now, I know I'm talking a lot about this series, but it is a fascinating glimpse into not only Rooney's start, but the Hollywood of old, because there were over 60 of these things made. And when Rooney stopped playing the tough street kid Mickey Maguire, he started playing Andy Hardy in a series of movies that again initially focused on the bigger ensemble, the whole Hardy family with movies like A Family Affair and You're Only Young Once. But it was Rooney who captured people's hearts as the teenager Andy Hardy. And these moral tales would often see Andy getting into trouble with money or with girls, only to get a talking to from his father, which would set him on the right path again. Hello, folks. What'll it be? I want a chocolate soda with vanilla ice cream, please. Make it two, buddy. You bet. Yes, sir, there's something about a high-class ice cream soda that makes a fellow feel as always wasting time with meat and vegetables. Ain't it the truth? <laughs> so like the Mickey Maguire shorts, this again is another fascinating rabbit hole. Another example of Rooney's charisma overshadowing a whole production to the point where it started to be mostly about him. But the 30s and the 40s saw Rooney cement himself as a Hollywood star, sometimes starring in multiple movies per year and also coming through unscathed in the transition from child actor to adult star. And in the last couple of years of World War II, he spent his time entertaining the troops both on stage and on radio on the American Forces Network. In the time I have, I don't think I can really do justice to Rooney's career, because the more you read, the more you want to focus on each moment, because those moments are just dripping with old Hollywood lore. And it was a career that was a series of high points, then low points and comebacks, which seemed to be a never-ending cycle. He worked with Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra, he starred in the film version of Rod Serling's Requiem for a Heavyweight in 1962, and he starred in numerous sitcom vehicles with varying degrees of success. But the thing with Rooney is, he just never stopped moving. There were times that he was at the bottom of the heap in the business, a business that had seemingly moved on from his brand of Hollywood star. But then at other times, because he had been in the business for so long, studios would attempt to make bank of that nostalgia. For example, there were at least two attempts to bring back his Andy Hardy character years later. Now at the beginning of the episode, you might recall a clip of a crotchety conversation with Mickey Rooney. And that is actually from the commentary of this episode 
on the Twilight Zone DVDs and Blu-rays. Do you remember much about this episode? No, I don't remember anything. We're watching it together for the first time. I don't care anything about it. What today's audience doesn't understand, and maybe we could put this in context, you're playing a jockey, but they don't understand that for many years, anytime anybody said anything about a short, you were the butt of jokes. Well, I'm tired of that. Oh. Well, it was interesting to make, but I don't, I don't see why people enjoy something like this now, but maybe they do. I hope they do. What was going on with you while you were making this? I don't remember. It's too long ago. <laughs> How do you feel looking, you know, looking at his performance? You know, what do you... I mean, it's just a performance. I don't know what, what to say about it. You shrimp! At least they scored these things with music that was interesting. What are you going to do now, pal? This was rare for you to do an episodic show at that point, I think, though. Well, you do all things that you try to do. Now, Lillian Sidman told me that you were a natural actor. She never had to work with you. No. That's, that's for other people, not me. So what kind of, as in, what kind of preparation would you have Nothing. done for a part? Just did it. There's no preparation for things like this. You just do them. Would you have watched this when it aired at home? No, I didn't. Would the director have given you... No, nothing. You just played the scenes. As you watch these, would you have played them differently? Or? No, you play them for what they were at the, t at the moment that you're doing. And the commentary goes from bad to worse to the point where the guy who is actually there to facilitate it with Rooney stops asking him questions altogether and Rooney just kind of grumbles his way through the episode. But the last years of Rooney's life would see him taking small comic cameos in things like American Dad or the Muppets movie, but also small parts in some pretty dire shows like a low-budget production of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. But as well as this, family troubles dominated his last few years, and he claimed to be the victim of elder abuse from family members. And Rooney died of natural causes in 2014 at the age of 93. And when he died, Vanity Fair called Rooney the original Hollywood train wreck, because despite earning millions during his career, he had to file for bankruptcy in 1962 due to mismanagement of his finances. And in his later years, Rooney entrusted his finances to his stepson, who funneled Rooney's earnings into his own lavish lifestyle. And by the end of his life, his estate was reportedly only valued at $18,000. So it is sad that a man who had such a stellar career ended in such a sad way. But I do have to admire that his long life was a life that was truly lived. Mickey Rooney was Hollywood. His career survived peaks and troughs and he kept on going. There are probably hundreds of people whose careers came and went within the time that Rooney was in the business. And on his gravestone it said, one of the greatest entertainers the world has ever known. Hollywood will always be his home. And I think in this episode of The Twilight Zone, Rooney does do great work. He's pretty pitch perfect as the washed up, 
and disgrace Grady. And any criticism that I have of the episode isn't really because of him, but that's something that we'll come back to. So after he makes his declaration that he wants to be big, Grady wakes up and it seems like he's got his wish. What is this? You had your heart's desire. Yeah, you didn't ask for a two-hour escape with Morpheus. You wanted stature, Mr. Grady. You wanted size. You wanted a view from a long way up and a long way out. Yeah, I wanted size. You wanted to be big. Well, look at yourself. You're big. You're Mr. Big. You're Hercules. You're the most sizable thing since Paul Bunyan. You don't have any complaints that you want to trot out, do you? Complaints? Do I have any complaints? Oh, no, I have no complaints. <laughs> hey, you know what this calls for? This calls for a celebration. <laughs> That's right. Hey, here. Hey, you drink, don't you? Huh? You drink? Go right ahead. Be my guest. So when Grady wakes up, he is bigger, and then later on in the episode, we see him get bigger again. And Martin Grams Jr. documents that this was filmed entirely on stage 19 at MGM, and three separate sets were created. And I have to take my hats off to the set designers here because it all does look great. But what's interesting here is that when Grady wishes to be big, this isn't the big that he meant. He meant he wanted to be big in terms of status, but he's equally delighted that his wish actually meant that he's grown bigger in size. And in some ways it doesn't make sense because what exactly does this mean for him? He mentions in a phone call to an ex-girlfriend that the Lakers will be scouting for him soon, but becoming a pro basketball player is highly unlikely. The penny hasn't dropped yet, that this will put an end to his horse racing career. So what does it mean for him? I guess what I put it down to is that in real life, Mickey Rooney was five foot two, and it's a sad fact of life that there is a certain stigma around height with certain people. So what Grady is going through here is just a pure reaction to being the short guy all his life and suddenly being the tall guy. And later on in the episode, he talks about wanting to walk down the street and not be seen as a freak. So this is really just a reaction to that, and he hasn't really thought through what the effect of it is going to be going forward. Hey, hey, tell me, who are you? My imagination. You, uh, you don't have very much imagination, Mr. Grady. Who are you? What are you? What's all this alter ego jazz? Well, I'll tell you, Mr. Grady. I'll try to make it as simple as possible. I'm the fate every man makes for himself. You generally find me down at the bottom of the barrel. I'm the strength dredged up in desperation. I'm the last gasp. That's supposed to be clear, huh? You're nothing, nothing, understand? Oh, I'm something. Really, really, I'm something. And in some cases, I'm something very good. Some cases, depending upon the person I'm representing, I, I can work miracles. You do? I come with heroism, sacrifice, strength, and even better than that, I can epitomize everything noble in men. You can, huh? Now, in your case, Mr. Grady, your requirements were quite small. What do you mean, quite small? Your dreams were rather insignificant. 
Your aspiration's hardly worth mentioning. Uh, I mean, to say, if you'd asked to win the Kentucky Derby and win it cleanly and with honor, that would have been quite a moment, wouldn't it? Greatest. Or if you'd have asked to perform an act of heroism, let's say, that would have been qualification for the respect you seek. This too would have been exemplary, right? Suppose that's been all right, yeah. But as it is, Mr. Grady, what was your heart's desire? Well, I wanted. I wanted. So soon Grady receives a phone call that the racing board is allowing him to continue racing. But... Too big. I'm too big. I'm too big. I can't ride. Wait a minute, I can't ride. I can't wear my clothes. I'll never ask for anything again. Please make me small. Please, oh God. You are small, Mr. Grady. You see, every time you won an honest race, that's when you were a giant. But right now, they just don't come any smaller. So Grady is now too big to do the only thing that he seems to be any good at. But before we sum up, let's address the elephant in the $4 room. When Mark Zickery in the Twilight Zone Companion started his commentary on season 5, he said that this was a season where Rod Serling was running out of ideas, and this was a season where the show began to repeat itself. Strangely though, having said that, Mr. Zickery doesn't level that criticism at this episode, in fact he's very positive about it, and doesn't mention that this episode is similar in a lot of ways to the season 2 episode, Nervous Man in a $4 Room. Both feature a man alone in a crummy room having a breakdown of sorts. Both feature a man who ends up having a dialogue with a version of himself, a more confident, self-assured version of himself, and he often sees this alter ego in the mirror. Now Mark Zickery might not refer to it, but Martin Grams Jr. does. He says, considered by many fans as a remake of the previous Twilight Zone opus, Nervous Man in a $4 Room, this episode was an excellent example of what Sailing meant when he told a reporter a year previous that sometimes I think we have tried everything, and there is a danger now that I will be imitative of myself. Before the show, I would tackle writing jobs in a leisurely way, now if I spend more than five days working out a Twilight show, it goes out the window. So while it is undoubtedly similar to Nervous Man in a $4 Room, does it do enough differently to counteract these similarities? I think it's fair to say that the first half is just so similar to Nervous Man in a $4 Room that it's really hard to move away from it. In the second half, after Grady starts to become big, it does start to walk its own path 
and it does have a completely different message to Nervous Man in a $4 room, so sailing is making a different point here. Nervous Man is about a man taking control of his life and casting off his bad past to write his own destiny. The Last Night of a Jockey is about the difference between wanting to be the best at the thing you do because that's what you love and what you've worked for, or wanting to be the best at the thing you do because it will bring you power and status. As Grady's alter ego said, Grady didn't ask to win the Kentucky Derby or to be a hero. He could have even asked for his career back and sorted the rest out himself. But he asked to be big, and he wanted to be the big man with status and power that other people will bow down to and look up to. And I do like this topic that Rod Sailing is exploring the difference between achievement for personal satisfaction and achievement for status. But at the end of the day, I do find it difficult to judge the last night of a jockey on its own merits. The spectre of nervous man in a $4 room does loom so large over it that when I compare the two, I just think Nervous Man in a $4 Room is better. Is that because it came first? Maybe that's part of it, but the unfortunate side effect of that is that Last Night of a Jockey just feels like a knockoff. But also, Nervous Man in a $4 Room builds to a positive conclusion, and the actor Joe Mantell is able to infuse his performance with a little humour here and there, whereas Last Night of a Jockey is just 23 minutes of a thoroughly unpleasant man being thoroughly unpleasant. And this isn't Mickey Rooney's fault, he is just performing the script and I do think he's very good in it. He's a pro and he brings all of the intensity that you would want for the role. But the thing is, when Grady gets some Twilight Zone cosmic justice in the end, as an audience member, it's hard to take any pleasure in it. This isn't like seeing a Nazi captain get his just desserts in Death's Head Revisited. This is just Grady, a loser, losing one more time. It's hard to care about Grady's fate, whatever it is, because really, you just kind of want him to go away anyway. So while there isn't anything that is largely wrong with The Last Night of a Jockey, it probably sits at the bottom of the mid-tier of the Twilight Zone for me. I didn't hate it, but there's not really much here that draws me back to it either. But that's just my assessment of this episode, and I think there's someone that I need to let know. Yeah? Mr. Grady, it's Tom Elliott again. I just wanted to call you to let you know that we have graded your episode at the bottom of the mid-tier of the Twilight Zone. Ah, slap your face off! Yeah, no good alley cap! The name is Grady, ten feet tall. A slightly distorted offshoot of a good breed of humans who race horses. Unfortunately for Mr. Grady, he learned too late that you don't measure size with a ruler. You don't figure height with a yardstick. And you never judge a man by how tall he looks in a mirror. The giant is as he does. You can make a parimutuel bet on this, win place or show, in or out of the Twilight Zone. So one thing that I forgot to do last time uh, when I brought the show back was to 
go over to the After Hours Club, the Twilight Zone podcast Patreon, where I like to run a poll about the episode that I'm covering. And what I ask the members is, is this a top tier episode, a middle tier, or a bottom tier episode? And the results are probably no surprise in that nobody voted it to be a top tier episode, 68% of the vote called it a middle tier episode, and 32% called it a bottom tier episode. I think we could probably guess that it might be around that. And a few of the members over there at the After Hours Club left some comments. Champagne Drum said, Mickey was such a unique character in real life. What a career, and I think you can say that again. Joe Brown said, I'm just not a fan of this episode. Mickey Rooney is an iconic actor. In this story, I see an angry person who feels that they never get a fair shake and then gets his wish. It just seems to be a wine fest. This drives the point home that this character will be the squeakiest wheel looking for the grease. This one is not for me. Jordan Dollar compares it to a different Twilight Zone from me. He says, it's another one of the ones similar to A Nice Place to Visit, where it's a one-note gag that telegraphs the ending well in advance. It's still entertaining for the performance, and the effects work is simple but very enjoyable. And he says, the commentary is worth a listen. Mickey Rooney is so dismissive of the craft of acting in general, and he keeps interrupting the guy talking to him. And then Travis goes on to say, let me second this. Please, Tom, for the love of Rod, listen to this commentary. It's got a reputation for a reason. Well, I knew of its reputation. And like I've said in the past, I don't tend to include commentary stuff in uh, the episode itself. But I think with this one, there was just no way we could bypass it. And then not the Roger Moore, but Roger Moore says, I agree with Gus when he left feedback on a thing about machines episode of the podcast, talking about Nervous Man in a $4 room. When this episode is compared to Nervous Man in a $4 room, Nervous Man is far more superior. Not an episode I would rush home to watch or even sit down willingly and watch during a marathon. And then my old friend Uncommon NASA. NASA, I miss you, man. We'll have to catch up soon. He says, this was one of the first episodes I'd ever seen as a young kid. My dad liked this one, and I really liked it for a while, but it hasn't aged well. Now that I've seen the entire series, and the superior nervous man in a $4 room, lower mid-tier, I think. So I think we're on the same page there. So thank you everyone for your thoughts over there in the After Hours Club. And if you wanna and if you wanna become a member of the After Hours Club, go to patreon.com slash Twilight Zone Podcast, where you can find episodes about things like Night Gallery, the 80s and 2000s Twilight Zones, and much, much more. And as I come to the end of some of the series that I'm looking at over in the After Hours Club, I will probably make the decision that maybe the club will close its doors and fade away into another dimension but probably not before the end of the year so this is probably a great time to jump on board enjoy those podcasts before they are gone for good so that's over at patreon.com slash twilight zone podcast so before we go just a couple of points of business first of all you might remember that the rod sailing memorial foundation set up a kickstarter maybe a year or so ago now, to fund that Rod Sailing statue in his hometown of Binghamton. 
Now, it wasn't successful at that stage, but it did potentially raise a good chunk of money to go towards that statue. Now, there's been a lot of hard work done behind the scenes with the foundation and I think the local authorities around Binghamton to raise some of that money in different ways. So this time, the Kickstarter doesn't actually need to make as much. So it should be a very achievable target. Now, as of this recording in March 2023, that Kickstarter is now live. I will put a link in the show notes so if you want to go there and pledge towards Rod Sailing's statue, then you can. Now, last time round, myself and the members of the After Hours Club over on Patreon, one month of that Patreon income was kept aside to go towards the statue. Now, unfortunately, the Kickstarter uh, wasn't successful, but I've kept that money to one side all this time, and uh, that's going to go towards the statue as well so the members of the after hours club have put some in but i'm sure some of them but i'm sure some of them will be making extra contributions as well so let's keep our eye on that because i would dearly love to be at the unveiling of that statue uh, whenever that is now normally i would hand you over to rod sailing to find out what is coming up next but the next episode is going to break format a little bit because you might recall in this episode, I talked about those season five stories that never saw the light of day in the Twilight Zone, but they did see the light of day in other ways. So next time, I'm going to break format and take a look at some of those lost season five episodes in a couple of different ways. So I'll explain more about that when we get there. So that is going to be our next episode, and I will speak to you then. Bye for now.